I have, um, as you can tell, we're moving away from our study in 1 Timothy this Sunday, and I have a couple of reasons for that. One reason is because I think this text will help us, aid us in our preparations for worship, worshiping the Lord at the Lord's table today. I think it'll be a great blessing to us in that way. And secondly, um, I think it'll instruct us on some, some of our immediate responses to our own sin from day to day. I think this is something that we all can grow in, in, in as the body of Christ. How do we immediately respond to our own sin in our hearts, our sin toward God, toward others? I think it'll help us with that, encourage us. And uh, in light of that, I would like to encourage all of you, whether you are going to be attending a growth group this week or not, to go through the questions on the back of the outline. I would encourage you to take the time on your own to work through those questions and just ask your heart and prayerfully before the Lord uh, those, those questions as you study this text. Would you stand with me this morning and we'll read this text together? 1 John 1, verse 5 through 2 and verse 2. Let's read this together in unison. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning as the body of Christ, We, as the members of Christ's body, are united to Christ in His life and death and resurrection. We thank You for His faithfulness to save us and to keep us and to sanctify us and to prepare us to stand before You someday dressed in His righteousness with great joy. And so we pray, Father, that You would you would enable us to understand this text as we discuss it together. That you would convict us. That you would give us insight into the nature of our heart. The condition of our heart. And, and help us to see, your again, your faithfulness, your righteousness to save and forgive and cleanse. Help us to see the righteousness of Christ and His powerful propitiation 
Help us to see clearly the, the effect of Your light, Father, Your holiness and Your truth upon us who walk in fellowship with You. And may it affect how we respond to our own sin, how we even glorify You in our responses to our own sin. May it encourage us in the Gospel. May it expose those who may not yet be Your children and think that they are. Father, we pray that You would you would do a great work of salvation and sanctification this morning through your word. We want to submit ourselves to you. We want to submit ourselves under the authority of your word and the scrutiny of your word, knowing that it is for our good and your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. One of the major themes in this first chapter, this first section of the letter of 1 John is fellowship. Fellowship. When you think of the word fellowship, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think of the body of Christ gathering together for a potluck. Sometimes we offhandedly refer to that as fellowship, and that, that's part of fellowship for sure. Maybe you think of believers gathered together for Bible study, and at that Bible study they they dig deeply into their own hearts and they share what they're learning about the Scriptures. They share uh, what God is doing in their lives, the sin that they're struggling with and how He is working through His Spirit to help them overcome sin. Maybe you think of that as fellowship. Maybe you think of fellowship as just uh, Christian friends getting together for a good time. Well, in this chapter, John has written to the church about fellowship with God the Father. And... His Son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. Fellowship with God. What is that fellowship? Though, If you look up a definition of the word fellowship in a Greek lexicon or a biblical dictionary, you would see something like this to share the same things. To have in common to participate in the same life, to have communication, to have even the word intimacy comes up, or to be united. And so the question that, that we need to present to ourselves as we look at this text this morning is, do you have fellowship with God? Do you have fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ? Or does that, this idea of fellowship with God sound entirely foreign to your experience? Fellowship with God. The Apostle Paul opens this letter by explaining how he and the other apostles came to have this fellowship with God. And also how his audience can have this fellowship with God. Certainly the immediate audience of his letters but then us as well as we read the letter of John inspired by the Holy Spirit. So in brief, a brief summary answer to how a person can have fellowship with God is this. A person has fellowship with God through a work of God's grace as they receive Jesus Christ. We really need to think of fellowship the way John talks about it is 
the same as being in Christ. It's a positional thing. It's, it's something secured for us by Christ. In fact, listen to John's words, 1 John 2.23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. That's the basis of fellowship is, do you have the Son? Have you received Him? And so what does it mean to confess and receive the Son? To receive and confess the Son means to first accept what He taught as absolute truth. Have you accept what Jesus has taught as absolute truth? To receive Him as your Savior. Well, what do we need to be saved from? From God's wrath against your sin. Have you received Him as the one to rescue you from God's judgment against your sin? It means to receive Him as your Master, to free you from slavery to sin, and to lead you to walk in obedience to God. That's what it means to confess and to receive Christ. To rest, it means to rest or trust in all that He has personally done to bring sinners like us into fellowship with God. What has Jesus done to bring us into fellowship with God? Well, we can look in the Scriptures and we find out that the eternal Son of God became a man. The second person of the Trinity. The eternal Trinity. The second person, the Son, became a real man. And as that man, He humbly lived in obedience to God's commands for us. He did that for us to make us righteous before God. As a man, He atoned for our sin by His death. He did that for us. He took our guilt. He took our punishment upon Himself. And and He finished. He completely took the sentence that God's law demands of sinners and fulfilled it. As a man, He conquered death through His resurrection. He did that for us. He did that so that we could have spiritual resurrection and eternal life for all who trust in Him. So in doing these things, Jesus became the perfect mediator, the perfect Savior between God and sinful man. Through His life and death and resurrection, Jesus satisfied God's justice and fulfilled God's desire to be merciful to sinners who trust in Him. And God the Father promised... This is the promises of God. God the Father promised that every sinner who comes to His Son, repentant over their sin, desiring His forgiveness, longing for eternal life with God, and the one that receives the Son and rests in Him and trusts His saving work, God the Father promised that He will forgive that sinner completely and grant him everlasting life and bring him into fellowship with Himself as His own beloved child. This is what John wrote, John 20, 31. These are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you would have life, eternal life, life with God, life shared with God, fellowship with God through His name. And that is exactly what John the Apostle experienced. And the other apostles experienced that. And they proclaimed that to others. Look at uh, verses 1 through 4 in chapter 1. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. He's talking about Jesus, the incarnate Word of God. 
the eternal Son, that which we have heard. They heard Him teach. That which we have seen with our eyes. They saw Him live. They saw Him live His perfectly righteous life. They, they saw Him die on the cross as a substitute. They saw Him rise again. And we looked upon Him. We touched Him with our hands. Everything that Jesus did as the mediator Savior, they saw, they touched, they heard. Concerning the word of life, Jesus is the, the word from God that gives life. And the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we now testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The apostles experienced Jesus Christ in all of His historic saving acts. In fact, I love this because John was the only apostle who stood at the foot of the cross. He saw it all firsthand. And he received it. He received Christ and began to enjoy fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Then John proclaimed and testified about Jesus to others so that they could experience Jesus Christ. John put his experience of Christ into the written word. Where do we find that? The Gospel of John, right? So that you could see Christ in all of His saving acts and receive Him and experience fellowship with God through faith as well. So here's the question. Again, we come back to our text for today. Do you have this fellowship with God that John wrote, writes about? Do you have it? Some of you are thinking about what I'm saying right now, and, and you would respond by saying, I do have that. I know what you're talking about. Exactly. And it's my joy and peace, and I'm so grateful. I have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Others of you may be saying, I, I don't know for sure, but I want to find out. I want that fellowship with God. And still others may be saying, I, I don't think I have that fellowship with God at all, and I'm not really sure what you're talking about. But let me say this to you this morning, that you can know for sure that you have fellowship with God. Yes, you can. In fact, that's what John's writing about in this letter. And isn't that question of fellowship with God really the most important question that you could ever ask yourself? If I have fellowship with God, do I have life with God? Am I sharing life with God? It's the purpose and the substance of our existence and of eternal life. And think of this, the opposite of fellowship with God is what? Separation from God. It's eternity Without God, it's enmity with God, it's alienation from God. In fact, it's the essence of eternal hell, it's the wrath of God. So the most important question you could ask yourself right now is, do I have fellowship with God? And in, in fact, that's not only the question that John intends to answer in this text for us, but through the whole letter. Look at chapter 5 of this letter. It's been some years that we've been through this letter, and let me just remind you of, of this, this key verse in the letter of 1 John. He says, verse 13, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to be confident 
if you have believed in Christ, that you have this eternal life, this fellowship with God. And so the main idea that, that this text boils down to is if you have fellowship with God, the effects of that fellowship will be evident in your life. They will be. You will see it in your life. Some people, when they're looking for assurance of salvation, look to their own will, their own decision. And they think, I did that. I prayed. I did that. I, I was baptized. I did those things. And so therefore, I must be saved. And you know what John does to help us to be assured of life with God and, and fellowship with God? He says, look what God is doing in your life. Look away from what you did and look at what God is doing. Do you see the unmistakable fingerprint of God's redemptive work in your life? And that's what this text's about, is to help you to see that. And so the presence or absence of the evidence of fellowship with God in your life will prove to you whether or not you have fellowship with God. And so be very thoughtful and honest with the Word of God today as we walk through this text. Maybe it's like going to the doctor and getting an examination and having some blood drawn to see if you have an illness. You've got some symptoms. And if the symptoms are there and the blood test shows the markers, you have the illness. Well, fellowship with God is not an illness. It's a blessing. But there will be symptoms. There will be markers in your life. And this text from John administered to us by the Holy Spirit will kind of draw our blood and, and, and evaluate us spiritually to help us to look for the markers and examine our lives to see if we have the symptoms. So what are the effects of fellowship with God? Number one, in your outline on your bulletin this morning, fellowship with the God of light produces cleansing from sin. Fellowship with the God of light produces cleansing from sin. Look at verse 5 through 7. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What is God like? And what effect does that have on those who are in fellowship with Him? Well, John says here that, that God is light. Jesus came with a message about God, right? We know that the Son became man and, and said, Here, let me reveal the, Son, the Father to you. And His message was, We've heard it from Him, Jesus, right? This, who John is referring to. This is the message we heard from Jesus and we proclaim it to you. God is light. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. What does that reveal to us about the nature of God? Well, John refers to light, the light of God elsewhere in his writings. John uh, passed on to us Jesus' message about God being light. And he's revealing to us that when, when he says God is light, he's using light as analogous of the perfections of God. Illustrative of, of the perfections of God. And throughout the letter of John, we see references to light. And what he means is that God is absolute truth. 
Light is illustrative of truth, eternal truth, without mixture of deception. God is true. Didn't Jesus say that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can see the connection between the character of God and light and several texts. John 1, 4-9, through 9, chapter 9, verse 5, 11, 9 and 10, 12, 35 and 36, 46, and John 14, 6. God is truth. Absolute truth without mixture of deception. And God's perfections of truth then expose human beliefs and behaviors that are contaminated with lies. We see that. It means that God is also perfect righteousness without mixture of sin. John 3, 19-21, God is light and those who love their sin do what? They run from the light because they love their sin. God is perfect righteousness without mixture of sin and He exposes the human life of sinfulness. God is love. We know that from John's writings. Perfect love without mixture of selfishness. 1 John 2, 8-10 through 10 talks about this. And God's love exposes the human heart of selfishness. One of the, one of the clearest examples of the character of God as truth and righteousness and love shining into the world and exposing human lies and selfishness and sin was when the Son became incarnate. Right? And we saw His grace and glory like never before. And people ran from that light because their deeds were evil. God as light is life without corruption by death. He exposes the corruptions of death in us. John 8, 12. John 14, 6. This God is light as He truly is. Truth, righteousness, love, life. That's, that's the nature of God. And this is the message that Jesus proclaimed while He was here on this earth. This is the message that the, that the apostles wrote in the Scriptures. So then, if you're in fellowship, if you have fellowship with this God of light and love and righteousness and truth, what happens to you? What will happen to you? Well, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If you're in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, the God of light is making you more like Himself all the time. More like His Son. He, he is cleansing the patterns of sin from your life and enabling you to walk in the light, or in other words, to imitate aspects of His own character in the way you live. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. For example, God's truth begins to displace the lies that once filled your thinking and your behaving and your actions, your words. God's truth displaces lies. God's righteousness begins to push out the patterns of sin. You experience this truth and righteousness and, and love and life from God through His Word, through the Spirit, as you, like John, are exposed to the incarnate Christ in the Scriptures. And He changes you. It changes you. 
His righteousness pushes out the patterns of sin and disobedience to His word and law-breaking and violation of his, His will that you were once ruled by. His love begins to push out hatred and selfishness and bitterness and envy that once controlled your heart. God's life begins to be lived out through your life. That's what it means to walk in the light as He is in the light. And so when you have fellowship with God, you begin to walk with God as His child, following Him and listening to Him and talking to Him and being led by Him through the Word, through the Spirit, being influenced by His other children, imitating Him, learning to trust Him and enjoy His love. And here's the point. You can't walk in the light with God as His child and not be changed. That's impossible. Do you see? You'll be changed if you have fellowship with God. It is impossible not to be changed if you have fellowship with God. You would, you would sooner be able to walk next to the sun unsinged than walk in the light with God and be unchanged. Let's take John's word seriously here. There will be change. John clearly states this proof, first negatively, then positively. He states it negatively. Verse 6, someone can say, I have fellowship with him. But if their life is continuing to walk in the darkness, right, to, to embrace lies and as a pattern of life and to live in selfishness as a pattern of life and sin as a pattern of life without repentance, then if they say they have fellowship with God and yet they're walking in darkness, what's the truth about them? They're lying. You can't be in fellowship with God and not be changed by that fellowship. You're not practicing the truth. But then he states it positively. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, you do have fellowship with him, with the Father, with the Son. That's what he means when he says we have fellowship with one another. And there's an effect that is powerful. The blood of Jesus, his Son, is cleansing us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is the payment that guarantees your change and your cleansing from sin. The blood of Jesus not only works powerfully for your forgiveness and justification, the blood of Jesus will continue to work powerfully for your sanctification and your practical cleansing from sin. I think John makes a difference between when he says cleansing and Forgiveness. And there's a difference there. That's not the same thing. Everyone who is in fellowship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ is forgiven. Past, present, future sins, forgiven. Forgiveness means that God no longer requires from you what His law demands for your sin. Right? God's law established clearly, this is what sin is. Violate this law, this is sin. And when you do, there's a, there's a penalty that must be paid. But God no longer demands that of you. That's forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus' blood, His death on the cross, in your place, satisfied all of the demands of God's law for you, once and for all. So on the basis of Jesus' blood, God forgives you. He releases you from your guilt and releases you from the punishment of His law forever. But 
not only is the blood of Jesus God's basis for your forgiveness, but the blood of Jesus continues to work powerfully to cleanse you from sin. This, this verb here is a, is a present active indicative. It's an ongoing work. It's cleansing you and cleansing you and, and cleansing you. The blood of Jesus works powerfully to release you from that slavery to sin's tyranny and remove the patterns of sin from your daily life. Maybe you ask, well, how does it do that? We, when we see the words, the blood of Jesus, we think very picturesquely like some red liquid washing us. And that's not the idea. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, we're talking about His bloody death on the cross that satisfied God's legal demands for us against us because of our sin. And so the blood of Jesus was the price paid by God to secure you as a child of God. No condemnation as a child of God. Only adoption. He adopts you as His own son or daughter. He, he will not squander that purchase price by failing to fulfill the purpose for your purchase. And what was the purpose for your purchase? To make you a holy child of God like Jesus. So the blood of Jesus will continue to speak for you and work interceding for you until God completes the work that He began in you. The blood of Jesus has already paid for that in full. And the blood of Jesus also works in your heart. It not only works before the throne of God, but it works in your heart. And it helps you to Get rid of this, your desires for sin. The cross is the power of God for your salvation. Think about it. When you truly understand what your sin cost Christ on the cross, it helps you to be repulsed by your sin because you know what it cost the one who loves you and whom you love. It cleanses you from sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, notice the text says, right? No sin is too great that it cannot be cleansed from your life, all sin. And this cleansing process is ongoing, right? Through the entire Christian life. It cleanses us, it's ongoing. It's cleansing you. And that saving work will continue until when? Until you see Jesus face to face. 1 John 3, 1-3. When you see Him, you'll be like Him because you will see Him as He is. That's fellowship with God. You walk in the light of truth, righteousness, and love with God and He cleanses you from your sin. That's communion with God. What a work of grace is this. It's irresistible. It's unmistakable for everyone who has fellowship with God. If you have fellowship with God, the effects of that fellowship will be evident. What's the first effect? Cleansing from sin. Second, fellowship with the Father, uh, fellowship with the faithful and just God produces confession of sin. Again, I, I want you to focus on these titles that John gives to God. He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. If you have fellowship with God, not only will God be cleansing you from your sin practically, but you'll begin to see the truth about your sin and say the truth about your sin. Do you? That's the effect of fellowship with God. Do you see the truth about your sin? Do you say 
the truth about your sin. Confession of sin, that's seeing and saying the truth about your sin. It'll be a clear mark of your life if you have fellowship with God. Again, John clearly states this truth negatively and positively. First, negatively. If we say what? We have no sin. What's true about us? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's describing someone who does not have fellowship with God even though they may say that they do. If you say that you have no sin, John says here that you are deceived. Yet how many people say, I'm a good person, right? Those who'd say, I'm not not sinful. I'm a good person. They're deceived. You know what they're deceived about? They're deceived about the holiness of God. They bring the nature of God down so that sin means nothing. They're deceived about the sinfulness of man. They elevate man so that man can do no wrong. They're deceived about what sin is. They redefine it. They turn it upside down and all around. They don't understand God's perspective of sin in thought and word and deed. They become their own lawmaker. They redefine sin altogether. They're deceived about their own nature. They think they're good. They're deceived about what constitutes sin in their own thoughts, words, and deeds. If that's you, John says the truth is not in you. You're walking, you're you're not walking in the light of truth with God. You're not seeing the truth about your sin. You are certainly not saying the truth about your sin. And verse 10 compounds that analysis and amplifies the severity of your condition. Look what John says. If we say, if we go on saying that we've not sinned, what what are we actually doing? We're we're making him a liar. You're calling God a liar. You're, You're opposing God's word about your spiritual condition. And you're making God out to be a liar. And His Word, the Word of God, the Word of truth, the Word that shines light on reality, it's not in us. It's not in you if that's your condition. So whether you think so or not, John is saying to, telling to you that if verse 8 and verse 10 describes you, you do not have fellowship with God. That's his point. And John's words, dear ones, listen to this. John's words are authoritative and definitive. If you deny your sin and defend yourself when confronted about sin, and that's your pattern of life, and you ignore your sin, and you minimize your sin, and you blame shift, and you are, then he says, if that's the way you walk, right? It's, it's a walk in darkness, then you're deceived and devoid of the truth. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, Believe, believe John's inspired words before you believe yourself. Because what people tend to do is they hear the, 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 the clarity of that and it puts them in a crisis of heart and they say, no, but I've had these experience, these spiritual experiences and these spiritual experiences and, and I know this happened to me and, and, and I, I'm sure God likes me and so on and so on. Yeah, but I... I think I'm a good person and I, and I don't do well when, when, when sin's brought up. I'm not, I don't confess sin. Well, here's the thing, dear ones. God knows you better than you know yourself. 
And it's a danger as you come to this text. Here's the danger. The danger is to be continually self-deceived and believing your own thoughts about your spiritual standing before God and refusing to believe what John says here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his authoritative and definitive analysis. The person described in verse 8 and 10 does not have fellowship with God. It doesn't mean you're hopeless, but it simply means you do not have fellowship with God. That's what he says. But then he states it positively in verse 9. What about the person who does have fellowship with God? There's this new pattern of life. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the life of the one who has fellowship with God as in, in how they respond to their sin. You're walking the light of God's truth, His righteousness and love, and therefore, you know what? You've seen yourself as you are before the God of light. You've begun to learn how offensive your sin is to His majesty and His holiness. And therefore, you've begun to see and say the truth about your sin. That's, that's the way it is in fellowship with God. God has revealed truth to you through His Word and through His Son, Jesus. You've believed it and received that truth as your own. And having come to Christ for salvation, you have been declared righteous by God, right? Through the work of Christ, you've been made a child of God. However, when you come to that place, at that moment of conversion and salvation, do all of your sins in thought, words, and deeds all of a sudden disappear and go away and you're perfect for the rest of your life? Is that how it is? No. No, it's not. As a child of God in this life, you are still a sinner and a saint though now at the same time. And God has begun within you a new war against your sin. And God has opened your eyes to see your sin for what it is. So as that child of God who's in fellowship with God, you keep confessing your sin for what it is. In fact, you have to. You're compelled to inside. You talk to God about it. You've got to go to your father and say, this, this is what's going on. I need you. You confess your sin. And you confess your sin to your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can be right with them or you can gain their help because your heart is with God's heart in being cleansed from sin. Denying your sin is not characteristic of you any longer. Ignoring, covering. It's not a pattern in your life anymore. God's changed you. Minimizing, redefining to inflate your own sense of self-goodness. It's not your practice anymore. You've begun to see and say the truth about your sin because you have fellowship with God. Honest, humble confession of sin to your heavenly Father. That's a pattern of life. No, you don't confess your sin perfectly, and neither do I. We never will until we're with the Lord, and then we won't have any sin. But an old pattern has died, and a new pattern is growing. It's begun. So now John advances his thoughts here. You've got to see this. John advances his thoughts and declares to you in this verse that you have fellowship with God that if you have fellowship with God and you're confessing your sin, then, then there are two realities that you can be absolutely certain of. What are they? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
I want to just take the two pieces, the two realities that I'm referring to is that God is faithful to cleanse and forgive, and God is just to forgive and cleanse. Let's look at those for a moment. What does that mean? God will be faithful to forgive and cleanse you. Every sin-confessing child of God is truly forgiven of sin and being cleansed of sin. Is it because their confession earns that cleansing? No, it's because why? God is faithful to forgive and cleanse. It's because God is faithful. God is faithful to keep His promises about forgiveness and cleansing to you, child of God. He promised Christ that. He promised Christ that that, that if He goes to the cross through His bloody death, He would forgive and cleanse all who come to Him confessing their sin and trust in Him to rescue them from their sin. Do you think God will break His promise to His own Son? No, God is faithful to keep His promises to Christ. And He promised us as sinners in His Word that if we come to Christ confessing our sin and trusting in Christ, that He will forgive and cleanse us too. That's a promise. God is faithful to keep His promises. Can you count on God to keep His promises? That's that's the uniqueness of God. Human beings do not really have the capacity to keep their promises because they're not in control of all things. They're not timeless. They're not eternal. They're not omnipotent. We make promises and we try to keep them, but it doesn't always work. But God? God always keeps His promises. He's timeless. He's eternal. He's omnipotent. He can do that. Nothing will stop the fulfillment of His promises. You can count on God. You can count on His Word. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. And He's also just. That's the second reason that really, you know what these are? These are reasons that motivate us who are in fellowship with God to keep confessing. Because God is faithful to forgive. God will be just to forgive and cleanse your sin. He's just. God justly forgives and cleanses all who come to Christ confessing their sin and trusting in Him. Why? God is just. In other words, think of it this way. God has already poured out all of His righteous wrath on the body of His Son on the cross for your sin. All that Christ did sat perfectly satisfied the righteous, the just demands of God's law against our sin. So if God doesn't forgive you who come to Christ and are in Christ, that means that God is no longer considering Christ's sacrifice to be a complete payment. And that's not just, is it? No, it's not, because Christ justly fulfilled all of the law's demands. God is just. He's righteous. He will accept Christ's sacrifice forever. The other way that God would be unjust is to punish sin twice. He'll punish Christ for your sin and then end up punishing you for it too. Is that just? No. God is just and the justifier of the one who trusts in Christ. And He can do that because He already punished your sin in the body of Christ on the cross. He's not going to punish you for it. It's done. It's finished. That's why Christ shouted out at the cross. It is finished once and for all. Past, present, and future sins. It's done. 
And so nothing can change your fellowship with God. God's faithfulness and justice secures that fellowship of confession and forgiveness and cleansing of sin. I want you to think of something here. And I'd like for all of us to really adjust our wording when we talk about fellowship with God based on this text. There are many believers who speak of fellowship with God as if it were something we can fall out of when we sin and then get back into when we ask forgiveness. Have you caught that? You're not in fellowship with God. That's not how John uses fellowship. That's not how John speaks of it here. John is speaking of this fellowship as a possession of everyone who receives Christ as Savior and Lord. He's speaking of it as equal to our union with Christ, uh, equal to our salvation in Christ, not as something we can, that can be lost every time we sin. Notice how he says it in verse, well, for example, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you that you too may have what? what? Have fellowship. It's a possession. You have it. And that's how he says it every time. It's always preceded by this have. You have fellowship. And do you know what the heart of our fellowship with God is? It's Christ Himself. The Father has Christ. We have Christ. The Father is one with Christ. In Him, we are one with Christ. Our fellowship with God is Jesus Christ. And God will be faithful and just toward His own Son regarding the salvation for those whom He died, for whom He died. God will be faithful to everyone who comes to Christ in that way. Now, granted, we don't always enjoy our fellowship with God, do we? No. We don't always appropriate its blessings and grace. But no true child of God can ever lose what John's talking about here when he says fellowship. You have it or you don't. If you have it, here's the evidences. You have it because of your union with Christ And the mark here that John brings out in these verses, that everyone who has fellowship with God will be seeing and saying the truth about their sin. That's key. And therefore, they will be cleansed from all unrighteousness because God is faithful and just. Now, the final, the final mark this morning. Verse 2, two marks of fellowship with God, cleansing from sin, confession of sin. Now, what's the last one? I'm going to say it this way. Fellowship with the righteous propitiator. Notice again the titles for the persons of the Trinity here. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. Ah, this is, this is so precious. Fellowship with the righteous propitiator produces a confidence after we sin gives us confidence to keep confessing our sin, to keep seeking cleansing. Do you ever feel so discouraged about your sin that you want to just give up on the Christian life? Why don't we? John says, here's why you don't. Here's why you can remain confident. Here's why you can keep confessing your sin. Here's why you can keep seeking God's cleansing. Confidence is a key word in the letter of John as well as fellowship. 
What is it that moves a child of God to speak boldly with God about their sin and openly with others about their sin? It's right here in this text. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But what? Look at that. Can you hear the gentleness in the writer? But if anyone does sin, what do we have? We have an angry judge who is ready to stomp us out every time we sin and, and, and give us an exit door from the fellowship we have with God. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Confessing sin, dear ones, is not natural to human beings. Do we, do we know that? Remember Genesis 3? Where was Adam the moment he was feeling shameful because of his sin? He was hiding in the bushes, right? I don't know. He was hiding anyway. However, confessing sin becomes characteristic of a child of God, those who have fellowship with God. Why? Why do they feel that freedom to confess their sin and keep on confessing? We've already learned one reason from verse 9, because God is faithful and just to forgive. They know that. But also, because they have an even higher reason. God is faithful and just because why? To forgive, why? Because we have. This is why God is faithful and just to forgive. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The one who has fellowship with God knows that there is an ever-present righteous advocate and propitiator before the throne of the Father. And you think on that when you sin. So that you can have confidence to keep confessing your sin. This is written to children of John spiritually, right? My little children. But it's also written in that phrase, it's alluded to, if, if they're children of John's discipleship and the word and the gospel, then they're certainly children of God as well. And that's a huge title throughout the gospel of John. Children of God. They're those who have fellowship with God so that the practice of sin will be being overcome. The cleansing from sin will be increasing by God's grace. He, he knows that they'll still sin. He knows that, and so do you. And when they sin, He doesn't want them to back away from their confidence in Christ and their enjoyment of their fellowship with God. Do you realize that you can continue to fellowship with God in your response to your own sin? You can enjoy that, that's really weird, isn't it, to think about? No, you're not enjoying your fellowship with God when you sin, but you can enjoy fellowship with God in how you respond to your own sin. Have you experienced that? This is a precious thing for the believer. He wants them to continue to confess their sin to their Father and seek the cleansing work of the Son. So in order for them to maintain that confidence and fellowship, especially when they sin, they'll need to know that they are secure in the fellowship with God. 1 John 2.28, Now little children abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. 1 John 3.20 and 21, Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. 
He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart condemns us, we have confidence before God. 1 John 4, 17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because he, as He is, so also are we in the world. 1 John 5, 14, This is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If the children of God are going to be confident to keep on confessing their sin and seeking cleansing, then they will need to know that they will not cease to be children of God when they sin. They need to know that they will not fall out of the Father's love when they sin. They will not fail Uh, They will not fall out of the Father's forgiveness. They won't be ignored when they cry out to the Father in prayer for spiritual strength. They will not be judged and condemned when Christ returns. And they absolutely will not be because they continually and eternally have Jesus Christ, the righteous propitiator, advocating for them before the throne of the Father. He will keep them in fellowship with God. He will maintain their fellowship with God for them. What do these words mean? How can He do this? The Advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's, he is the God-man who lived the perfect life and earned the righteousness that deserves eternal life. And now He stands before the Father constantly interceding for us, meaning advocating for us, showing the Father, as it were, that we are in Him and we bear His righteousness. Continually, He earned it for us. He is the righteous one advocating for us. And the Father will not turn away the righteousness of His own Son, therefore He will not turn us away who are in Him. And He's the propitiator. What does that word mean? He has appeased the wrath of God, the just righteous wrath of God against our sin that the law requires, the judgment that our sin deserves. Christ appeased it. And all of that righteousness and propitiation is constantly before the throne of God interceding for us, showing the Father that we are declared righteous, that we are declared guilt-free and free from punishment. It's done. And every time we sin, that's there. That confidence is then given to us to continue to confess our sin and seek cleansing. And that's what the mark of the child of God who's in fellowship with God. Their confidence is in Christ the righteous propitiator. He advocates for them. Their hope is in Him. They know He will not fail them. Hebrews 7.25 He ever lives to make intercession for us so that we may be saved to the uttermost. If you have fellowship with God, the effects of that fellowship will be evident in your life. Do you see cleansing from sin? Do you see in your life confession of sin to God, to others? So that that cleansing may may go on, may increase, may grow. And when you sin, do do you think of Christ, your advocate, so that you can continue to enjoy confidence in fellowship with God and keep confessing your sin? Right? You need to know that if you're going to continue to confess your sin and seek God's cleansing. As we close this morning, I have two applications and then we'll pray. The first one, the first application is the reason why John wrote this letter. 1 John 5.13 These are written that you who believe may know that you have eternal life. Do you know? Do you know? Based on this, this small section of Scripture, 
that you have fellowship with God. Are these marks in your life? Or are the negative marks in your life? I hope everyone can answer that. Think on it. And what do you do if you don't? Say, I don't, I don't have those marks. I'm not confessing my sin. I'm not seeking cleansing. I have no confidence before God that I, I remain His child because of the righteous and propitiating advocate, Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't have that. If not, do you want it? Do you want that? Do you want fellowship with God? Well, if you do, go to Christ. We've, we've explained the gospel already in the beginning. Christ lived, died, rose again to make you one with the Father and enjoy that. Go to Him. He will remove your guilt. He will declare you righteous. And He will give you fellowship with God. You say, I do. I have that. I understand this. And I enjoy it. Well, Rejoice with the apostle. Remember he said he was writing these things so that his joy would be full. Your joy is in Christ. Fellowship with God the Father. And the second reason that John wrote this section of Scripture, look at chapter 2, verse 1. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The apostle John is giving to us kind of a, a pattern to live by in response to our own sin that will help you, practically speaking, to overcome your sin. Do you walk in this pattern? Think with me, dear ones. When you sin throughout your day, what is your response? I think sometimes as believers who are soaked in biblical knowledge that we don't really do much of a response to our sin at all. We just think, well, God's forgiven me and just move on. And you know what? We sort of take it all for granted, don't we? And we miss the opportunity to rejoice in the gospel and grow in our hatred for sin and love for righteousness and our love for Christ and to actually bring glory to God in our responses to our own sin. Slow down a little bit. Think. God, cleanse me. Thank you for the fellowship. He has forgiven you. We often ask, God, please forgive me for this sin. And that's fine. But realize, you are forgiven. Even before you sinned that last sin, you were forgiven. Soak in that. Talk about your sin to your father. Tell him what's going on in your heart. Why did you even want to do that? And, and remember what Christ has done for you. The, the righteous advocate. The righteous propitiator who is ever advocating before the throne of God for you to give you confidence when you sin. Do you walk through that or you just hurry by as if it's no big deal? And you know what? As you remember that God is at work to cleanse you and that you can confess your sin and fellowship with your Father in the process of responding to your sin and that you have, you remembering and rehearsing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteous, that will work in your heart to help you to overcome sin. And think of this too. It's not just the sins that are directly between you and the Father, but what happens when you, when you sin against each other? Is it like, 
well, that was done. We'll forget about it. And you never go back and talk about it and make it right and work through it. Well, it's the same process if you're working through sin with another believer. God wants to cleanse us from this sin, doesn't He? Yes. We can confess this sin to each other. We can, we can do this in confidence. Why? Because we're not condemned. We're forgiven. He is faithful and righteous to forgive. We have the righteous advocate. and We can love each other that way too. The fellowship that we enjoy with God is then mirrored in our fellowship with one another. Do you do that? Think of the process. Yes, they're, they're evidences of fellowship with God, but they also, these marks, become a process by which we respond to our sin. Is that your life? That's so important for all of us to consider and to not neglect. You know, a great Old Testament example of that is Psalm 51, isn't it? You, you, let that be your homework. You, look, you work through Psalm 51, and what you find is David doing just this, confessing his sin to God, fellowshipping with God over it, rejoicing in the forgiveness that he can enjoy, pleading for that cleansing and change, trusting in the loyal love of God to forgive. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Let's, by the grace of God, glorify God the Father, His faithfulness, His justice, and the Son's righteousness and propitiation in the way that we respond to our own sin toward God and toward others. Let's pray together and ask God to enable us to do just that. Father, we thank You for this time of fellowship in the Word and we know primarily, Father, that this text is showing us evidences of fellowship with God. And I pray that you would, you would allow the one, those who may be here today who are not, who do not have that fellowship with you, that they would be able to see that they don't. And that they will desire it by your Spirit. Put that new desire in their heart and let them see how they can be your friend. Be in fellowship with you through Jesus Christ and Him alone. We pray, Father, that you would help all of us who, by your grace, have fellowship with you through Jesus Christ. Enable us to grow in our responses to our own sin and to bring you glory by how we respond to our sin toward, toward you, toward others. And to to rejoice again and again in your faithfulness, in your righteousness, in the Son, His righteousness, in our behalf, His propitiation in our behalf. Let us not rush through life so that we neglect to respond rightly to our sin. Help us to fellowship with you and to grow to be given by you that grace, that strength, that cleansing, even through the process. And may it be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.